Okay, so this morning we're going to carry on our new series, which is, we've called it Doxology. It's those little bits of the Bible that are like hymns of prayer and praise. And they're, they're written in the Bible to provoke our love for God, our loyalty and enthusiasm for God. They're kind of like songs that ignite awe and response to God. And we were saying that every issue in life was designed to be solved through a trusting connection with the Father. It's what Jesus has come for. He's come to bring us home to relationship. And awe and worship and wonder are things that ignite trust in God. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to look at a doxology in the second part of last week's from Romans chapter 11 and it's verse 33. And it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And ever. All of us, somewhere in our life, have something where we would say, life doesn't look the way I would ideally like it to look. All of us have probably got something, whether it could be a health issue, a job issue, a financial issue, an emotional issue, a mindset issue a mental health issue, something going on in our workplace, in our family, in our community. We've all got areas where we're longing for God to break through and do something. And this section of the Bible is really a response to uncertainty. How do we actually navigate uncertainty? How do we navigate things and situations where the future and outcome is actually unclear? How do we walk in things that are not sorted yet? And let me say that it's actually a normal experience in following Jesus to have a whole ton of stuff that he hasn't given you a clue about how he's going to sort it, redeem it and fix it. That following Jesus often is surrounded by areas of perplexity and areas where we think, God, I thought you were going to move faster than this. I thought you would do it differently to this. I'm living with a degree of confusion about what you're up to. Following Jesus, that's normal. That's normal. We think A, B, C. Jesus thinks A, B, Z, Y, R, H. And he has a way of doing things that is completely different to our way of doing things. And when we're facing that the unplanned place, you know, we're in a job we didn't want, in a situation we didn't want, or the unplanned pace, I thought you would move quicker than this. When we find ourselves in that place, and like I said, all of us have got places like that, we are actually... If we don't handle it according to this doxology, this hymn of praise, if we don't handle it with awe, wonder and worship, we're actually vulnerable at becoming spiritually sick in the moment. 
in the moment where we thought, I thought you were going to do it this way. I thought you were going to bring about that. I thought by now. If we don't handle it well, we become spiritually sick because we move into a place where we begin to judge God. And that's what I want to unpack this morning. See, we really believe that this call to follow Jesus is a, is a radical call to intimacy and connection and exchange with God. We really believe that. That God is not looking for servants. God is not looking for robots. He's looking for children who exchange and interact with him. He's looking for that. But in the moment of complexity, confusion and the unplanned place and pace, we can take that invitation of exchange and we can distort it into something that can become grotesque and can become something that makes us spiritually sick. Because in this moment, we can start to turn prayer more into becoming God's consultant. (laughs) Once I just analysed my relationship with Jesus and thought, you know what, a lot of my prayer is is telling him how to do it. (laughs) Really. Wow, so much of what we talk about God, or not so much of what you talk about, so much of what I talk to you about... (laughs) is my grumbling, complaining, acting like a two-year-old tantrum toddler telling you how to do it. Yeah. And in his kindness and grace, he listened to every single one of those prayers. <laughs> and so in this moment of uncertainty about the future, this, this doxology, this hymn of praise, brings us a solution because Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments. It tells us that he doesn't actually need us to be a consultant and he doesn't actually need us to tell him how to run the world and how to run our life. The, the, the apostle says, Paul says, who has ever been his counsellor? Who, in other words, there has never been a human being on the planet that God has gone to because God lacked wisdom and understanding to know what to do next. This never happened. But Jesus never went to the disciples and said, you know what, I have no idea how to get this job done. <laughs> on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus didn't say, guys... One of you. What do we do next? (laughs) Never. There's not an example of him confused. He invites in exchange, he says about Abraham, should we hide from Abraham what we're about to do? Because we're (laughs) going to make a great nation from him. But not because he doesn't know what to do. Never. He has never lacked wisdom, understanding, insight, strategy, blueprints for anything on earth. He doesn't need Jamie to tell him how to run the world and how to run my life and how to put it all together perfectly. Who has ever been his counsellor? Answer, nobody. 
When we see him as he is, when we see him like we were in the worship this morning, when awe and wonder and delight, and we're saying, oh, the depth of your riches, wisdom and knowledge. We realise we cannot tell him anything that he doesn't already know. Now, I think that in a relationship there needs to be that communication of the depths of our heart, that there's vulnerability, there's authenticity with God. It's not hiding our disappointment, our discouragement. It's bringing it all out to God. Because although he knows it all, there's something about... I love in the shack where the God character says, we know all about your family, but we love hearing about them through your eyes. He knows about it all already, but it's something about us communicating about our lives to him, being honest, being real, being vulnerable about our pain, our disappointment. But we're not telling him anything because he doesn't already know it. He knows it all completely. And we can't give him anything that he doesn't already know or already have. That's why he doesn't need a counsellor. That we're never in, he's never in our debt. And he never owes us an explanation. There's a place to ask why. I think it's okay to ask why. Relationships requires asking why. But sometimes he never, ever gives you the answer. He doesn't owe us an explanation. He is God. He knows all things. I remember there was a, there, I had worked on something. Rochelle and I had worked on something for about four and a half years. And what we had worked on, just one day, not anything to do with us, just crumbled, collapsed and disappeared in a moment. And I said to God... We worked hard for that. We sacrificed for that. We gave for that. And his answer was, what's that to you? You just did what you were asked to do. Does it make sense? That he doesn't actually owe me an explanation. And there's something about humility that comes when we lay down our argument with life and say, do you know what? God, we're friends, and I love you, and I served you, and I gave myself to to that, and I would do it all again, whatever the outcome. And the reason we can trust him is because he has complete, comprehensive mastery and understanding of all events, choices, and feelings, and thoughts. We said this last week, but oh, the depths of his knowledge means... That God knows right now all recorded facts stored in every computer in the whole world. He knows about everything that's written in all the books in all the libraries. He knows right now all that happens on earth. He knows what's happening in the atmosphere, in space, in every galaxy and planet. He knows what's going on in every molecule and atom. He knows all events that happen right now and the seven point something billion people and all the people who have ever lived or ever lived. He knows every mind, 
will and emotion. He knows all about emotional and spiritual choices that are coming about today. He knows all thoughts, choices and feelings. He knows all the past. He knows all the present. He knows all the future. He knows every level of existence perfectly. And we laughed and said last week, he knows if an ant moves a leaf in the Amazon. He knows it right now. He sees it. He knows all facts. He knows how all facts relate to one another. He knows how one event and all the events that will spring from it relate to one another. He sees it all, knows it all completely, perfectly and wonderfully. And he knows it all without even the slightest strain of his mind. He knows it instantly, perfectly, all the time. And we are left marvelling and astonished and in wonder at his perfect knowledge. That's why we can't tell him anything that he doesn't already know. That's why we can't complain to him like I wanted to complain because I don't know the whole thing. I just know about a moment in history, an investment of four and a half years, some feelings of disappointment that it didn't work the way I thought, it didn't go on to be the thing I'd hoped it to be and pray for it to be. But he says, what's it to you? You don't know. You don't know the big picture. You don't know what that equals and how that led to this. And you don't understand So what's it to you is not so much a rebuke or cruel rebuke. It's you are a creature asking the creator to owe you an explanation. And you don't know. You don't know you're finite and I'm infinite. And so he has comprehensive mastery of all understanding, all thoughts, all choices. And all his judgments and all his decisions are perfect Because they are rooted and based in unfathomably deep knowledge and wisdom. That's why he knows the end from the beginning. And he knows how to get everything in the whole universe to where he wants it to be. And then Paul writes and says, Who has ever given to God that he should repay him? Or who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counsellor? He says, how unsearchable are his judgments. To be able to advise God, you have to actually be wiser than God and know more than God. To advise him on anything. To tell him how he should do things and when he should do things and the process he should take requires not you are wiser than God and that you can search out the whole mind of God and fully comprehend everything that he thinks and how he thinks. If we could do that, then we could be his counsellor. But the Bible says how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. No one is wise enough to advise him because no one can grasp entirely how he thinks. Who has known His mind. He knows deep things, hidden things, things that we don't know. And that's the place of worship. That's the place of surrender. He's beyond our capacity to deconstruct him and unpack his thinking. That is why his decisions often confound us, leave us bewildered, perplexed and amazed. He's beyond us. Like, God, why did you place two trees in the garden? Why? 
Did you give people that kind of choice, that kind of responsibility, that kind of power? Why, Jesus, did you conquer Satan's sin, death, everything on the cross, completely, perfectly, and yet you've left evil in the world? Why? Why didn't you eradicate it all? Why did you not... Give just no choices so that there'd be no evil and no brokenness. Why did you allow in the perfection of Eden, allow something to come in and tempt? Why? Why? You confuse me, you perplex me, you bewilder me. I don't understand. Why don't you just appear in the sky and say, I'm God. <laughs> that's, for me, that's a better strategic evangelistic <laughs> missional idea. Why? Why, why? why do you take people like me, who take so long to get it and take even long to, to apply it? Why? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Why are you so patient and so... Why do you take so long to suddenly move? You perplex me. You bewilder me. You confound me. You amaze me. And and, and he doesn't answer those. He just says, look, plan is the church. Plan is redeemed, saved, loved, forgiven, ordinary men and women who get filled with the Holy Spirit and go and change the world with me. And, he, and then he says, because I love relationship. Because you get to know me as you walk with me, even in your weakness. See, when we surrender and yield and lay down our argument with life, when we say, I don't know it all. When we say, do you know what, God, I don't understand that why in that kitchen over there a man got healed of cancer. And I don't understand how this spot here right now, someone got healed of skin cancer. And then I don't understand why someone else didn't get healed. And I don't understand, God, why I heard about one guy had brain damage and you healed his brain after 18 months and he was completely transformed and other people are not getting that kind of breakthrough. When we come to the place where we say, I know that you're not cruel. Mm. When we say, I know that you are sovereign and know all things. But when we come to the place of utter surrender to his goodness too. And say, you are not a cruel joke God. That you are not an abuser. That you do not send abuse to teach people how to be holy. He doesn't. And you do not send sickness in order to train people. That you hate sickness and you heal sickness. And Jesus, you never blessed any sickness. You healed sickness. And when we know there's no shadows in him, he can't be tempted by evil because he does not have any shadows or temptation for evil in him. He is entirely, gloriously good. And yet he can take 
all that wisdom and all that knowledge and redeem everything and bring something glorious and good out of absolutely everything, even if he never sent it in the first place. I don't understand why in his sovereignty he stops certain things and in his sovereignty he allows certain things to pass him by. I don't understand that. It's a mystery I have no understanding of. I don't understand, like in Bill Johnson's church, where his dad died of a certain particular type of cancer, and after that, they saw that cancer healed repeatedly, week after week after week. I don't understand. All I know is we see his redemption, and we see his kindness, and we see his unfathomably deep wisdom and grasp and understanding of all knowledge and all things to bring something glorious and good out of mystery. Sometimes all we can do in life is we lay down our argument with God and we lay down our argument with God um, with life and we say you bewilder me you perplex me you confound me you are beyond my capacity to deconstruct and understand I cannot counsel you I cannot give you wisdom or knowledge that you don't already have I choose to surrender I choose to yield I choose to be in awe I choose to be in worship I lay down at your feet all of my arguments and in that place in that place we get (coughs) set free from irritation we get set free from agitation we get set free from frustration and we get set free from false power that's anger anger is false power now it's okay to be it says be angry and don't sin there's an anger towards unrighteousness there's an anger towards injustice there's an anger towards what's going on in society that rages within you that unlocks a longing for God to move through you to bring restoration and transformation to that thing but there's also an anger that's a false power it's a rallying anger against God and it's a rallying anger with the world and with life and there's a moment of utter surrender. Like the Apostle Paul, who had vision and plans to go to Spain and bring good news to Spain, but found himself in a Roman prison cell and said, even here, the gospel will progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so, there are things we don't understand. There are deep things. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us. So there are depths that we don't understand, but he has revealed himself. And the greatest revelation and the greatest disclosure of who God is, is Jesus, the Son of God. If we want to know what the revealed things are, look at Jesus. He's the exact stamp of the Father. You look at Jesus you see God the Father. You look at how Jesus confronted injustice and religiosity and sickness. You see what the Father thinks. The revealed things belong to us. They're ours to steward. They're ours to look after. Like God is good is a revelation. God has called us sons and daughters. Children of his is a revelation. It belongs to us. His nature His kindness, his compassion, his mercy, his patience. They're all revelations of who he is. These things belong to us. The hidden things, sometimes the why, mysteries, don't belong to us. They belong to God. 
and we yield and we surrender the mysteries and say, you know what, I don't understand God. But what I do understand is you've said you're good. See, the place of peace is this. I don't need to know the future. Because I know the one who holds the future. I don't need to know how long. I just need to know that you are the redeemer. And you work all things together for good. I don't need to know how you're going to do it. I just need to rest in the assurance I trust that you can and you will and you want to. That's the place of peace. I don't need to know the entire plan. I just need to know that you're going to be with me during the entire plan. I'm telling you because I have honestly struggled with this my entire life. Because I so wanted to be seeing more of God that actually really I wanted to be God. I wanted to be in control. I wanted to know the plan, the solutions, the strategy so I could get on with it. And again and again I've had to find myself banging against a wall of frustration where he says, you know what, when's it going to be enough? When's it going to be enough to know you're mine? When's it going to be enough to know you're loved? When's it going to be enough to simply trust? One of the things I had to do was I changed the way I engage with God. I had to change that to become more times of worship, more times of writing down declarations where I would go for the declaration and pray for the declaration because it would be like train tracks to me. Because suddenly if I didn't have tracks to run on or a path to run on, I'd, I'd get into consultancy mode. <laughs> Morning. Welcome Trinity, I've got something to tell you. <laughs> oh, I know some things. Deep things. And I'm going to be sharing them with you. <laughs> yeah, things you don't know. Things you've never heard of before. <laughs> Are we listening? <laughs> Because um, I make a better God than you. <laughs> well, that's what's going on underneath. That's mm. Be a better God than you. Get it done quicker. <laughs> Shortcuts. <Yeah. laughs> Get this done in a week. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing for 2,000 years? <laughs> But you're lucky, because I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got revelation you don't know about. Mm. (laughs) You laugh. Mm. Probably did that on and off for 30 years. And the fruit, irritation, frustration... Yeah. <coughs> been angry and disappointed and discouraged mm-hmm. because you realised the love that you had for him was had strings attached I love you as long as you do it my way <laughs> when I say and how I say 
And when you don't, I withdraw my love and become disappointed and discouraged with you mm. until you show me some signs that you're going to do it my way. But in the place of, you've revealed things to me. You've revealed things to us. Things to steward. Things to look after. Yeah, there's some mysteries. Yeah, there's some perplexity. Yeah, there's some confusing things. But you have revealed stuff. What about if, instead of being your consultant, I just got on with the revealed stuff? Mm-hmm. So it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. Amen. Amen. That ultimately, the universe, the world, you and I exist to show him off. It's a revelation. What? Doesn't revolve around me. <clears throat> See, there's this invitation that we love here called dreaming with God. We love it, we value it, it's wonderful. So what are the dreams that God's put on your heart? What are the callings? What are the burdens? What are the things you carry? We love that. But dreaming with God has to come as well with that yielded surrender. See, I think the place of peace is do with my life whatever brings you most attention and glory. See, can you see that this, these things, the most wonderful and beautiful things with God, come with lots of attention to them. They're not simply black and white. It's dream with God. Pursue your passion. Go after the things that make you come alive. And yet at the same time, do with my life whatever brings you glory. I'm on earth to bring you attention. <coughs> whatever you decide will be perfect. I live to show you off. It's the will of God that each and every one of us are abundantly, radically, awesomely fruitful. The question is never a choice between a life of yielded surrender and a life of abundant fruitfulness. God has not given us that choice. He wants both. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. And think more and more that I'm realising is if you look at church history, if you look at the history of the world, the men and the women on earth today who are the most wonderfully fruitful and showing God off in the greatest way have gone through an encounter with God where they've laid down their argument with life and with God. That you trace, say for example, Heidi and Roland Baker in Mozambique. Heidi and Roland Baker were in Mozambique for 15 years. I think they had planted three dying churches. Churches that just didn't blossom and grow and get any fruit. She has an encounter with Jesus in Toronto where literally Holy Spirit kind of incapacitated her for seven days. Which we think, I want an encounter with God. I don't, want that, I, don't want, I don't want that encounter. <laughs> Sounds slightly embarrassing if you think it through. She comes out of that 15 years later, thousands and thousands and thousands of churches and thousands and thousands of orphans being fed. 
and Mozambique's in revival, even against backdrops of persecution, because of an encounter where she comes to the place of, I can't do it. You are God. Whatever shows you off, do it. Take, for example, Lev Hetland, working in a church on the coast of Norway. His big dream, his biggest dream, is to grow his church to 200, which is actually quite a big dream because he's living in a small town of only a few thousand. It's a big dream. Jesus meets with him. He, he, has, he goes through horrendous things where God redeemed a terrible accident in a car, in a swimming pool. He went through incredible... He got addicted to um, painkillers. He went through things that you could say it's not the hand of God, but the redemption of God through it all was he's now led a million Muslims to Christ in Pakistan. So he goes through a kind of death to come to a (coughs) radical form of fruitfulness. Take Randy Clark, who kicked off the Toronto revival that's now having its 25th anniversary. He's leading a church of 50 people. He's, he's, he's literally dying on his feet. And he's so broken and dead spiritually, he's just copying every Sunday out of a book and just, they're just going through it. And God says to him, Hey, Randy Clark, if I grow your church to 200, will you be happy? He says, I don't think I will. What if I grow it to 500? Will you then be satisfied? He says, I don't think I will. What about would you be satisfied with me and my presence I will. He takes him through a death to bring a resurrection and a humility and an awe and a wonder at God. Randy Clark then went on to kick off three worldwide awakenings and revivals. See, this is, this, is the, this is the place that Jesus is taking us to. And we're going to hold all these wonderful things together. <coughs> Big dreams, personal dreams... God dreams, things we'd love to see, permission, freedom to pursue things we've always longed to see, and at the same time, <coughs> all being flavoured and marinated in the universe, the world is not ultimately about me. That it's from you, and through you, and for you are all things. It's from you and through you and it's all for you are all things. But Jesus just said to people, follow me. And they either got up and followed or they didn't get up and follow. He never said, follow me. And I'll, I'll, I'll just so fulfil your life with so many good things. I'll, I'll, come follow me. I'm so desperate for you to follow me. Come follow me. I promise to make it so easy for you. And so no, he says, follow me. And they got up and followed because he had the words of eternal life. Because they found life with him and joy with him and hope with him and certainty with him and security with him. This is the place of we're coming to. This is the place where abundant peace becomes ours. When you say, do with my life whatever you want to do with my life. Whatever you decide will be perfect. I live to show you off. This is why I ultimately exist. And so Jesus... Jesus, we do, we do live in a, a world, Western culture, that says it's all about me. And Jesus, this is a big deal for us, because it's scary. But we choose to take steps of trust. 
We choose, Jesus, to trust that you are good, that you love us, and you're at work in our life, and you redeem everything, and you work it all together for good. And God, we want to show you off. And even as a local church, we want to show you off as glorious. We want to bring you great attention and glory. And we say with us, do whatever brings you most attention and glory through us. Whatever you decide will be perfect. We want to show you off. We want to say it's all for you. All for you, Jesus. It's all to show the world how beautiful and glorious and wonderful and compassionate and kind you are. Do with us. Whatever you decide will be perfect, Jesus. Do with us as a group of people, as a community. Whatever brings you most glory and attention in Plumstead, in SE18, in this area. Yeah, maybe in the week you can meditate with him. And, and don't rush. Don't, I'm not, that's why I don't want to ask anybody to stand and say, if you want to do this. I, I work it through with Jesus. Work through the fears that come up when you think, what? You might think, I might lose out. Well, uh, what, what if that never happened? What, what, what? Trust him that actually his deepest desire is not to take good things from you, is actually to fulfill your heart deeply with deep, wonderful, mm. good things. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not some artificial choice between what brings you joy and Jesus. It's rather a choice to say, mm. I choose you, even if in choosing you it looks like those other things are not getting any nearer. Yeah. That's the place of trust. Yeah. It's the place of surrender. It's the place of peace. Yeah. Mm.